CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Friday, February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. So sweet. I know, right? It's brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. A giant thank you to those unions for jumping on board and sponsoring this program. And, of course, today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. It is Friday, February 14th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, Bernie Sanders delegate Maggie Wonderly will join us, and it's the long-awaited return of the Illinois political know-it-alls, Jacob Kaplan and Dan Pogoshelsky. Now your host, curb your enthusiasm, know it all. <laughs> well, at least season one, which is only twenty years old. Chicago reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hey, you're in the studio. We'll bring her on uh, in a little while. D has an update. Is that correct, young man? Yes, I do. You were asking what the update was. I said, hey, wait till we get on the air, pal. We want to save. I the... have no idea what this update is. We want the genuine reaction. Okay, here, here we all go. Right. <clears throat> all right, have a drink of water. The following comes from the Chicago Sun Times. John Seidel, Robert Hergeth. Hammer down Hergeth, good guy. And Mark Brown. Man, all three of them. All three of them. Uh oh, must be big. Oh, it's big, baby. <laughs> all right. <laughs> the chief of staff to Cook County Commissioner Jeff Tobolsky has been indicted for allegedly conspiring to pay bribes to secure approval for red light cameras in the suburbs. He's been indicted? Indicted. Wait, time out. This was the big news? I thought it was like Donald Trump has been impeached again. Nope. Oh, I'm a little disappointed. Oh, man. <laughs> but, you know, listen, that's an ongoing local scandal uh, involving the red light camera program. Uh, by the way, talk about cynicism. Uh, when red light cameras came out, Mayor Rahm and all the powers that be in the state of in the city of Chicago, state of Illinois, oh, no, well, these cameras are here to protect the, the motorists and the pedestrians from uh, speeding drivers. Uh, you know, now it turns out it was all a big scam politicians are on the take to put these red light cameras up. The red light cameras were just shaking down motorists, get them pay more. Nobody believes anything in government anymore, Maggie Wonderly. I'm not going to force you to, to weigh in on this, but red light cameras really fed the uh, the sense of what? A, uh, uh, cynicism that this average citizen has uh, towards... <laughs> Patrick Doherty, 64, Palos Heist, has been hit with three bribery charges in an indictment made public Friday. His arrangement has not been set. He faces up to five years in prison on each count. All right, very good. That, uh, that scandal's ongoing. All right, folks, let me just tell you about Maggie Wonderly uh, before I bring her on. Reporters like to act as though they know everything. 
you know, because you assume that if you're writing a story about something, you know everything. I'm going to give a little secret out. Many times, I'm not speaking for all reporters, I'll just speak for myself because many other reporters might object to this. It's like cramming for a test. You're supposed to write, let's say, about the rules governing the process by which the Democrats nominated president. It's not something I know, Maggie Wonderly. You know, I didn't wake up knowing that. So what do I do? I do a little research on the internet, and then in desperation, when I'm really confused, I call someone who does know. So I end up calling Maggie Wonderly. Hey, Maggie, leave me to da 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 da. And then I, she tells me everything. All right, I put it in my head for a moment, just long enough to write the thing. Then I call her up. Uh, let's fact check this story, make sure I got it right, corrects my errors. And then I'm an expert. Oh, I know everything. People are like, wow, Ben, you really know a lot. And I owe it all to Maggie Wonderly. There was somebody like that on TIFFs whose name will go unmentioned. Uh, my utter, but by the end, I wrote so many TIFF stories, Maggie. I actually became to understand the process, but property taxes, same way. Anyway, Maggie, uh, welcome to the show. Appreciate you coming on. Glad to be here. All right, before we take the deep dive on the delegate selection process, on the uh, nomination, the battle for the presidency, you uh, anything you want to say, uh, promote, talk about? Yes, the Bernie Sanders staff is here on the ground here in Illinois, and we're doing barnstorms this weekend. And if you are interested in getting involved with the campaign, go to events.berniesanders.com and look for barnstorms. They have them all over the state this weekend. Okay, and uh, BernieSanders.com. All right, uh, that's one of the things we'll talk about, how um, somehow or other, when we get to this with the mainstream media, they malign the Bernie Sanders campaign because his supporters are so passionate and want to get involved. It's, I've never seen anybody use that against a candidate as much as, oh my God, they're just cultists. You know, <laughs> push come to shove, they won't matter. Oh, you got people who want to go to Iowa in the middle of the cold and knock on doors, and that doesn't matter. Um, it's really a frustrating thing I have. All right, let's talk about the process. Uh, Maggie, you told me, I think it started in about 2015. Is that correct? Or no, after the uh, last election, uh, where the Democrats got together to try to figure out uh, a, a more systematic and a fair way to determine uh, who would be the nominee. So talk about what you went through. Yeah. So I was on the rules committee in 2016 at the national convention, and then we um, negotiated this package of um, rules changes that we wanted. And then they formed a commission called the unity reform commission. And then they, uh, looked into all these rules over the next like couple years, there were meetings all around the country and, um, they came up with these final reforms at the end of that. Um, one of those was that the super delegates who would now be called automatic delegates instead, cause they don't vote on the first ballot anymore would vote on the second ballot. Um, and that's because people saw the last couple elections, the problems with, um, people pre-pledging their votes who are super delegates. And so the voice of the people wasn't being represented and we wanted to actually get rid of the super delegates and not have that. But this was our compromise is that they don't vote till the second ballot, which normally isn't a problem, but this year might be a brokered convention. We'll get to that. I do believe <laughs> I, I'm starting to think it will be a brokered convention. Mm -hmm. Maggie, I, th I think you and I had a conversation about this yesterday. Mm -hmm. I do. I'm starting to think it will be uh, the impact that Bloomberg's having on this race uh, could split the vote up many ways. When you said we wanted to do away with delegates, I presume the we in that sentence alluded to the Sanders supporters. Yes, mainly the Sanders supporters were pushing for this on the rules committee. And who is pushing from the other side? 
Well, the the rules committee has like these kind of super delegates of the rules committee who are kind of appointed by like the DNC chair. Mm-hmm. So there's that group. And then there were um, the Clinton uh, Rules Committee members. I don't think they were all against the reforms, but they were just kind of told to vote against everything until we got the negotiation. That's how I felt. Like, it was part of negotiation. Yeah. No! <laughs> <laughs> like, I do think that probably Clinton herself didn't want a lot of the stuff other than the caucus stuff. But Now, wait, when you say Clinton, this is mm-hmm. after 2016, correct? Well, initially... This was at the at the convention. Uh, And so, um, you know, part of the reason, you know, Bernie Sanders couldn't concede until the end is he needed to get people on these committees because we needed to make some changes in the in the rules and platform because we wanted to improve the Democratic Party. So so just so everybody knows, these were negotiations that were going on rough either during the 2016 Democratic Convention or right before the Democratic Convention. Uh, Bernie Sanders was using whatever leverage he had at that moment to force some concessions from the the Clintonians who were running the party at the Mm -hmm. time, correct? Mm -hmm. All right, what, um, this is a matter of great dispute. Uh, Even to this day, four years later, Maggie, I got Clintonians who come in and they're still a little upset at the Sanders delegates for what went down in Philadelphia in 2016. What's your memory of how the convention played out and who really has a gripe from the 2016 convention? Okay, so um, first of all, so uh, just background, I mean, the superdelegates did create a lot of bad, bad blood just going into it, because since the beginning, you'd see all these states where it would flip to Clinton because of the superdelegates who happened to be in that state. Um, And then right before the convention, they released all these emails about how they were trying to stop Bernie from you know, getting the nomination. And some of these emails were pretty nasty, like going after him for various things. And um, it was obvious the DNC, you know, was doing their best not to have Bernie get the nomination and to support Hillary. And that just dropped right before the convention. Mm-hmm. So the, it was just dropped on them. They were very angry about it. Um, and, uh, you know, that's part of, you know, why they had a lot of protests and stuff outside the convention. Um, you know, that wasn't every, you know, that wasn't all the Bernie delegates at, at the convention. They weren't all protesting, but I mean, you, it's like they, they do things to us and they expect us not to respond. Yeah. They expect us to just deal with it. But, um, so I, I think that, um, you know, some of the people could have been more polite at the convention, but <laughs> I do think that, you know, when you drop something on and these people like put their, their lives on hold a lot of the time, cause they were so excited about the possibility of Bernie Sanders presidency. So just to, you know, give that background on that, like how many hours they poured into this and they felt kind of, they were cheated. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, they in the sentence who dropped it, I just want to let everybody know one more time. People get upset when I say this, but it was hackers. Uh, Putin's hackers got into those Democratic computers and uh, released those emails at the very time the Democrats were getting together. It absolutely benefited Donald John Trump uh, to pick a fight, have the, de- uh, the Bernie people mad at the Hillary people and vice versa at the very time they're supposed to be coming together. And we're still feeling the impact. Uh, let's get mm-hmm. add to what you were talking about. And I already alluded to this. Um, 
you talk about keeping fights going. I, I have a hard time with my uh, mainstream uh, Democratic friends, centrists, on the issue of how they view Bernie supporters. They've got this utter disdain for Bernie supporters, and generally they try to uh, they try to get around it by saying, "Well, they're they're misogynists," you know, and they allude to people who on Facebook or or on Twitter who are really nasty, uh, and but so they. They, that's like their justification for it. But they, in general, they kind of view people like yourself as cultists who've given your mind over to this bizarre Bernie Sanders cult. Uh, do you do you think I'm exaggerating things or do you get that sentiment as well? I, I think there's a min- very vocal minority who have this opinion. And the funny part is that they usually have more vitriol than the majority, vast majority of the Bernie Sanders supporters, I actually see more vitriol coming from these people attacking the Bernie supporters. Like in this, you know, the Bernie bros myth that they keep talking about, it's really like a self-perpetuating thing. Like they, you know, they attack the Bernie supporters and the Bernie supporters push back. Um, And the misogyny is just ridiculous. I mean, Bernie actually supported Warren running in the last cycle and he stayed out and you know until she was just sure she wasn't going to run and he ran because the you know the Clinton wing of the party what you know he felt it was going and so do I felt it was going in the wrong direction for the Democratic Party Mm -hmm. and he you know he has always thought women should run for office um and you know I I think they use this identity politics against Bernie. It's not that they keep, even when the reality is something different, they keep pushing it because he has a lot of female supporters. And when they try to make everyone like a white male, that's erasing them. That's erasing people of color. He has the largest number of people of color supporting him. Um, So and then I still hear these people, you know, on online or, you know, who are just so ups, upset that, oh, only, you know, they're saying only the white males like Bernie Sanders. Um, but they're, it's like it's not the reality when you look at polling. I mean, that is not his his base. And they're trying to pretend some other candidate who their base is primarily white is going to get all the African-American voters that are actually coming to Bernie. Yes, it's a very nasty politics, primary politics, makes it that much harder for the party uh, to, to unite around. Well, if Bernie Sanders is the nominee, it's going to be really make it difficult to uh, unite around him. All right. Uh, the rules change that benefit Bloomberg. Uh, after the fact, again, you were talking about years of meetings, negotiations, you had, thought you had the rules, then they changed to uh, enable uh, the rules to get Bloomberg on the debate stage. Okay, so those rules are not the ones that I worked on, which is the rules for the debates. Um, you know, they did talk a bit about they wanted to have more debates and have rules that were fair as to who could be in the debates or not. But they have been changing those rules over the course of the debate schedule, but most of the time it's to add requirements. Like, so to up the requirements so it's harder and harder to get on the debate stage. Um, in this case, they took away one of the requirements, which was the small dollar fundraising. 
Um, and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they had put in this fundraising requirement to try to stop more grassroots candidates. But then Bernie's raising, you know, the most small dollar donations of everyone. So that's, you know, and then Bloomberg has donated money to the party. He's vowed to spend millions of dollars to helping the party. And so I think they wanted to let him be in the debates because, you know, he's going to be providing all this easy money that they don't have to raise somewhere else. Um, And I mean, I don't think it's necessarily I think it might hurt him to be in the debates, quite honestly. I mean, he part of why he's rising is because he has all these commercials. He doesn't have to respond to things. That is an interesting point. So in other words, I'm looking at it that it's an advantage to have him for him to be on the stage and suddenly jump to the head of the line. And you're saying, oh, wait, wait till people hear what he has to say. Uh, they'll be disappointed in contrast to his commercials. Mm-hmm. Uh, boomerang against him. Is he absolutely, I, I haven't seen this, he's absolutely going to, a, he's not participating in the next debate, is he? The next uh, debate that's in February, or is he participating? I, I just can't remember. He's participating at the Nevada debate later this month. Oh, he um, is in the Nevada. But right. only if he qual. I don't think he's qualified on the polling yet. Like I think he's. I think he. He does need he two more one, polls. Yeah. I did see this. <laughs> he's got ten percent. He. I believe mm-hmm. he will qualify. He probably will because his numbers have been rising in the polls. Yes, at the expense of Biden and eventually Buttigieg and uh, Klobuchar. I believe. Uh, that's my sense. What's your your feelings about a, a brokered convention. Do you think we're heading there? I think we definitely could be heading there, but it's it's too early to say because um, once one candidate might get a lot of momentum, then people might start switching their votes to vote for that person. And some of the people who are getting below 15 or in a lot of states, like they're going to have to drop off at some point or people are going to stop voting for them because they don't think they can win. So you still might um, not have a broker convention. You still might have somebody wrapping up the 50% plus one that they need Is there for the nomination. Any part of you as a delegate, you will be there mm-hmm. presumably if you get elected. I keep saying you're a delegate, but yes, you have to get ele- elected. Um, but you would be there in Milwaukee. Is there any part of you that just looks forward to a broker convention just for the sheer uh, entertainment of it? Um, it would be more, uh, you know, exciting, I guess. But I, I would much prefer to go in there with 50% of the delegates because I'm too worried about all the backroom deals that people are going to be making to try to peel off delegates to another candidate. I really don't want them to flip the popular vote. So if one candidate is is ahead, I don't want them to go and flip that on the second ballot to another candidate Mm -hmm. because that would be a disaster. Um, Trump would win, I'm pretty sure, because it would be all out in the open. Um, unlike, you know, before when some of these deals were made, it wasn't out in the open where everyone was aware of it, but everyone is aware of what's going on. Everyone is aware that the superdelegates aren't supposed to vote till second ballot. And they know that, you know, the news is reporting on it all the time nowadays. So they know where the delegate count is. So if you go in and flip it to another candidate, I think that would just lead to Trump winning. 
Well, I got it. So. I would be a, definitely a repeat of the uh, chaos that began the 2016 Democratic convention, when, as you were just uh, talking about, where the emails, the hacked uh, emails were released on the eve of the convention and that there was turmoil, there was protest. Uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, I remember her press conference, uh, was she was heckled at a press conference, so were, the, the Democrats were divided. Just imagine if you take that to a next level where there's this you're right so much backroom wheeling and dealing and then rumors get out about who made what deal behind back uh, you know in the back rooms and then allegations go forth and people start tweeting stuff out and putting stuff out there uh, yes i think it would be very messy uh to to put it mildly uh not something the democrats uh would want uh, to have going into the trump race that said um and part of the reason they agreed to these rules because we did not have the majority on any of these committees, okay? So part of the reason they agreed to the rules is they knew that they needed to show they're going to be more democratic in order to keep the party together, um, you know? So just going in and flipping a vote, that would be like the opposite of what they spent all this time. More democratic, um, small d democratic. Yep. <laughs> all right, uh, so let's get into uh, the first two elections that we had a primary and a caucus and uh, had a friend of mine Benji who's a big Bernie Sanders supporter texting me the other day uh, and uh, he pointed out the uh, that Bernie Sanders is two for two in winning the popular vote uh, he won in Iowa the popular vote and he won the popular vote in New Hampshire and yet at the moment I believe he trails in the delegate race by one I know it's very early uh, and the guy he trails uh, by one at Pete Buttigieg in my humble opinion will uh, He'll be out of the race because uh, Bloomberg's going to take his votes and he can't get any black support. But nonetheless, how in the world is it possible, Maggie, that the winner two for two in the popular vote is trailing in the delegate vote by one? Okay, so for starters, um, I I mean, they're reporting this, but the results are not really called in Iowa because they're re-canvassing it Um, and they are re-canvassing it because there were a lot of math errors and the attorney for the Iowa Democratic Party said that um, they can't change the math errors because that would be changing a legal record um, and you can't introduce opinion into the situation. Now, math, anybody who is a math geek or, you know, you know, math is not an opinion. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so it's a mistake. (laughs) A mistake if you did the math wrong, and really the votes are what should be the determining factor, not if somebody doesn't know how to do math and then the answer was wrong. So I'm hoping with the re-canvas, because whenever you get like a re-canvas involved, election lawyers get involved, you know, hoping they can dispute this, because I, I have seen this with parties, like if they hire... An attorney, I mean, the attorney basically defends whatever the party wants, but then they pretend like the attorney is some kind of neutral arbiter, uh, you know, of everything and the final authority. But an attorney advocates for their client. So um, and then with the um, the reason that the popular vote is so much higher and then he's still behind in the state delegate equivalents. Um, that is because the congressional districts, there's four congressional districts in Iowa. They calculate the number of delegates based on the previous election. 
um, like how many Democrats came out to vote that election. And then they divide that all the way down to the precinct level. And by the time you do that, the numbers are so off. Then you then they round in each precinct the number of delegates. So those numbers, all those roundings, the numbers get way, way off by the time you know, they, they get to these state de- delegate equivalents. And Pete was ahead by one and a half of these state delegate equivalents. And those are approximately like a 50th of an actual delegate. So it's like the, this tiny <laughs> fraction of a delegate. And I think they had put him up by two even at some point, and it's just ridiculous, like you'd be up by two delegates for this tiny fraction when you're also behind in the popular vote and there's also like 100 precincts that have errors. Um, And then, so um, because of this uh, statement by the lawyer, I think, you know, the Sanders campaign was gonna just like let it go, but then they were like, this is ridiculous, they're not fixing math errors, we're just, we're gonna do the re-canvas. And then of course, Buddha Judge jumps in and he's like, I wanna re-canvas precincts too. Um, but a lot of his were, he was objecting to the satellite caucuses. Mm -hmm. And the satellite caucuses is primarily college students who are away uh, from Iowa to help them participate. And people who are like shift workers, who are like working class people who can't go during the normal caucus hours. And Buddha Judge did horrible in, in that those demographics, those are not his demographics. And so now he's challenging, he wants them to have less points and saying like it should be calculated a different way. So that's what's going on with that. So that it, but it's completely open in my opinion. So that's why I'm going with the popular vote until they get that cleared up. So So <laughs> they, when they when you when they talk about doing a recanvassing of the vote, mm-hmm. um, it's a caucus. In other words, so what is there to re-canvas? Ah, okay. So this is another rules change we made in the, the rules package, okay? So it used to be they just recorded those um, delegates. They recorded, like, how many de- delegate equivalents or delegates you got in each precinct. Well, um, now we had changed the rules because there was no way to go back and recount something. You couldn't tell if anybody made a mistake. You couldn't tell if somebody cheated or, you know, anything was amiss. So they started, they said that now you have to record the votes. You have to record the votes on the first round and you have to record the votes at the end. And Bernie was ahead like 6,000 on the first round. And then I, whenever, you know, when people kind of reassembled, then he was maybe only 2,500 votes ahead, but he was still ahead of everybody else. And he still um, picked up from the previous round. He picked up people, he didn't lose people. So, But um, Buttigieg put, picked up more people. That's why yeah, Buttigieg closed the margin, correct? Yeah, except that he was still 2,500 points behind Bernie. That is correct, yeah. he's still behind. <laughs> Get that part of the story. Uh, yeah, still yeah. behind, all right, yeah. Yeah, so the, all of this, and then they, you know, they have these cards they have to fill out so they can actually keep track of how people are voting on first and second um, round and that's all new because of these rules changes and some people are mad at us for these rule changes but all the rule changes did was make it so everyone can see it otherwise you would would wait (laughs) why would they be mad (laughs) i love my democrats to death but man you guys are weird why would they be mad at the rule change that made it more transparent because they think that now, like, it gives Trump, you know, ammunition because everyone could see that it was a mess. But, I mean. Man, Democrats, 
You guys are so afraid of what Trump's going to tweet. You're so intimidated by it. Like, that gets back to the Soviet Union thing. Trump's going to tweet out that Bernie had his... Meanwhile, <laughs> Democrats, they, all these anti-Bernie people say it all the time. So I don't know that maybe you kind of let the cat out of the bag. It's not like it's going to be big news. Anyway, all right. So they're, they're worried about Trump tweeting. Is that what they're mm-hmm. worried about? So okay, so you're gonna have you have a paper trail then that they're gonna mm-hmm. canvas and do the, all the math again and determine. By the way, ultimately, uh, Maggie, I think you'll agree that it probably won't matter. We're talking about maybe one or two delegates. Mm-hmm. And then actual delegates, I don't think that's gonna make a difference. It's more being able to claim you won Iowa. So which by the way, won't matter after Super Tuesday yeah. at all. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, our next two guests, uh, Jacob Kaplan, Danny Pokashelsky, are in the studio. We're going to bring them on a little bit. Uh, before I let you go, your opinion, should we continue uh, with the process that we have where Iowa leads off as with a caucus, or should we switch to a difference? When I say we, Democrats, a lifelong Democrat, uh, I use the we. Uh, should the Democrats switch to uh, a different state and a different way of beginning the uh, presidential primary? Your thoughts? Maggie Wonderly. Um, I'd prefer I'd prefer primaries because this whole process. I mean, it just showed how undemocratic it is. I mean, just even the way they allocate the delegates and that people there's too many people who don't know what they're doing involved and things are getting screwed up. So I I think a primary would be better and easier for people uh, to vote. And um, you know, I think going first, I think, in my opinion, it should be a different state every time. Wow, like, like that's move my the Super opi- Bowl to different cities. Yeah, that's my opinion. I never heard, man, that's a good one. <laughs> Jacob Kaplan going, yeah, I can live with that. Uh, so in other words, Illinois would be in 2024, and then Montana would be in 2028. I just made up Montana. I don't know why I thought of Montana. I don't either. Uh, no, you wouldn't want Montana. Maybe New York would get a shot at it, or you know, some other big state, diverse state. Yeah. All right, very good. Maggie Wonderly, before we let you go, uh, any other last things you want to say? You want to mention that Bernie thing again? Yes, uh, we're having barnstorms all weekend for the Bernie Sanders campaign. Go to events.berniesanders.com and search for barnstorms, and they will all pull up all over the state. So Very good. Thank you so much, Maggie, for coming in. I really appreciate it. Uh, on deck, as I said, Jacob Kaplan and Danny Pogoshelsky, the political know-it-alls. They'll be with us when we return. How did you go from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, Mayor. Good question. Are you craving some Chicago-style marijuana? Then come on down to Patillo's on South Pulaski. Hello, I'm Fat Al. And I'm Southside Donnie. Patillo's, where you can get a brat with some pot. Like our char cheddar Polish joints, smothered in cheese and topped with sweet and hot peppers. Or try a slice of our deep dish kush, a butter crust, six inches of cheese and sauce, and some primo chronic. We also have a large selection of water pipes. Dub bongs. So come on down to Patillo's. For Chicago style, wacky tobacco, come to Patillo's on South Pulaski. Mmm. Hey, don't bogart that dog. How's it going, everybody? Every time Dan Pogoshelsky and uh, Jacob Kaplan come on, they uh, do a Facebook Live thing. They try and do it in the middle of the show. usually irritates me, so I figured let's do it during the break. Okay, tell us 
what's going on right now well, here Ma today? Maggie Wonderly, who you can see over there. Uh, the, say hi, Maggie. Come on. The pride of joy of Kane County, Bertie Sanders delegate, was uh, just on the show explaining uh, the rules and regulations governing the process. Young Patrick, our uh, social media expert, uh, dropped in today. And, of course, uh, Dan. That's Dan right there with the nice hat. Nice Jacob hat. Kaplan, executive director of Cook County Democratic Politics. Yeah. Uh, Democratic Party, excuse me. We're going to take the deep dive and all the political news. I'm going to ask him about Bloomberg versus Bernie. Don't duck and dodge, all right? Come on, answer the <laughs> questions. Know, Bloomberg versus Bernie. It's centrist versus lefty. It's going to be one-on-one -on -one for the nomination. That's my prediction. I'm going to say Buttigieg, Whoa. Biden, they're all falling by. If you're a centrist, you got to vote for the billionaire. And if you're a lefty and a person with true Democratic values, uh-oh, did I show my bias there? you got to vote for Bernie. So uh, that's what it's coming down to. Here, wait. Uh, Dr. Deed, did you just say that... Uh, our friend Mr. Jurassic here is feeling the berg. Is that, what, is that what you said? Is that what you said? That's correct. That's correct. Uh, if, if he's the nominee, I will vote for him because I am Wait, vote blue no matter. You have to share that awesome, the other That's awesome good. quip you had, Doctor D. What's everybody. that? Oh, uh, vote Bloom no matter whom. <laughs> that's one of our one of our live stream Dr. chatters. Who said that, man? One of our live stream uh, chatters. I can't really remember. Right. I gotta give him credit. Oh, I'm gonna man. steal that and pretend I said awesome. it. Awesome. Well, happy Valentine's Day and enjoy this wonderful treat that is the Ben Jurasky Show. Where can you download it? Wherever you download, right, Jay? Chicago Sun Times, Chicago Reader websites, and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. That's that's my man right there. All right, Boom. we're gonna See cut this off and do the show. All right. All right. Good job, man. <laughs> Good Maggie, welcome to the political know-it-alls. And welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. We just did a Facebook Live thing with young Daniel, who is a social media guru, and Jacob Kaplan, executive director of the Cook County Democratic Party. We're going to be talking Bloomberg versus Bernie. Uh, no ducking, no dodging. The shape, the future of the Democratic Party is at stake here. Maybe you guys disagree with me. Maybe you think that Joe Biden still has a chance, or Pete Buttigieg still has a chance, or Amy Klobuchar still has a chance. Our young Tom Steyer, who's still in the race, uh, still has a chance. I believe that the centrists will coalesce around Michael Bloomberg. Uh, I would urge them to do, if I were a centrist, that's what I would do. I would go after the billionaire. Why not? It's got the billion dollars. Before we bring him on, you got an update, young man? Uh, coming up a little later on in the program, Pat Whalen, our guest today, and our social media guru. He's got a, a segment that he created, uh, Limbaugh or Bloomberg. That's going to be coming up a little later on. But everybody, remember to follow us on social media, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. You can see that video Dan and Jacob just made. Oh, that's trippy, huh? You heard it. <laughs> and now you can go see what they made. Oh, get the bong out. So uh, go yeah. check that out at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, at both Facebook and Twitter. Shout out to Brianna. Brianna, I saw you on the live stream chat. She said that she follows this show avidly, and she... Um, Always catches up on the Bendrovsky bonus interviews. She says by about Monday or Tuesday, she's fresh out of content. She literally listens to everything that we have. But hey, Brianna, don't worry. We got more Benny J bonus interviews this weekend. Ben, who do we have on tap here for the Benny J bonus interview? I'm trying I, to think off the top of my head. I, I can't, can't remember, remember, man. Yeah. So many well, I mean, it's no surprise you can't remember, yeah. but I can't remember. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Let me my little book. Yeah, get that uh, book out. I know. Um, oh, Henry Davis. Henry Davis. He's back, guys. Pride and joy of South Bend, Indiana. He's a councilman from South Bend, Indiana. And to put it mildly, Jacob Catlin, not a big fan of Mayor Pete. Just putting that out there. So I've heard. Yeah, so he's not a so big fan of So you've heard. You know yeah. what? All right, I'm going to put this out here, uh, Jacob, Dan, get your thoughts. 
Uh, I'm not a big fan of Mayor Pete either. I'm far more to the left of him. And he lost me when he started talking about um, he only thought that uh, uh, tuition-free college uh, should go to uh, it shouldn't go to wealthy people and I believe it's like social security if you don't if it's not universal you're not going to support it let's be honest uh, and then there were some funny lines I, some comedian said like no rich person goes to a public college anyway so but I, I, he lost me on the in the issue it's it's it did strike me as a Republican talking point that said Limbaugh really crossed the line. I don't know if you saw this, Rush Limbaugh, his comments that uh, America's not ready for Pete Buttigieg. So come, see, and they gave him the, that congressional, congressional medal. Yeah. Ridiculous. It's just freaking ridiculous, man. Trump just doesn't care. Well, you see, know, he's just devaluing I, everything. So I was going to say, since you mentioned Limbaugh, let's go ahead and do the segment. Pat Whalen's here right now. Our segment, <laughs> Limbaugh or Bloomberg. Pat Whalen. The mic's yours, Poor my guy's friend. eating something. Okay, guys. No, I'm, I'm just I'm just chewing. I'm not eating. Oh. So yeah. that's okay. It's a difference. Yeah, yeah. big difference. Um, well, you know, as Dennis mentioned, it's called uh, Bloomberg or, or Limbaugh. It's pretty, pretty straightforward. I'm going to read you a quote, and you're going to tell me if it was Medal of Freedom winner, okay. Rush Limbaugh, or Democratic presidential candidate Mike Bloomberg. Okay, all right. Okay. You ready, uh, young Daniel? Oh, he's like, I don't so know. So we go. Here we go. Here we go. Quote number one. The biggest lies are the checks in the mail, I'll respect you in the morning, and I'm glad I'm Jewish. Oh, I know the answer to this. You do. Am I allowed to say? Or is it just for these guys? <laughs> no, I actually don't know. I don't know the rules to my own bit. <laughs> so, you are the host. You oh, yeah. Uh, Michael Bloomberg said that. Michael I just Bloomberg? read that. Yeah. You just Michael read Bo- that? I, I, well, I read it last night. I don't know if I told you this. I was up until uh, like five in Someone the morning. Someone mentioned that to yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> you look a lot like you. Uh, I did not get any sleep last night. And one of the things I was doing, Jacob, was like obsessively reading about Michael Bloomberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, Bloomberg thinks he's a funny guy, a witty guy, and that was his idea of a funny, witty line. So, why Is that your that initiation was- into being a political know-it-all? What, being up until five in the morning reading about Michael no, Bloomberg? No, knowing the answer to that. Uh, knowing the answer to yeah. that? I'll have you know, young man. I've, I've, Someone's I've, never going to be on this show ever again. Yeah. <laughs> First name starts with a D, last name with a P. I won't mention any did, names. Did you know that was Bloomberg? No, but well, I kind of guessed. Ga- I would have guessed, guessed that. Guessed it. Yeah, I don't Based think Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't think Rush Limbaugh would have been obsessed with the Jewish part yeah. of it. You know, Bloomberg is Jewish. They thought it was funny. Mm-hmm. So, all right, you have another one. Ben was a political know-it-all before it was cool. It's all I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, second quote. There's three total. If women wanted to be appreciated for their brains, they'd go to the library instead of Bloomingdale's. Rush Limbaugh or Mike Bloomberg? I uh, Do I answer again or do I throw this? I know the answer to this one. Yeah, I have a feeling you saw what I saw, Ben. I have a feeling, a feeling deep inside. Uh, yes, uh, that was Michael Bloomberg, the <laughs> same article. I was actually going to talk about this uh, with uh, Jacob Ouch. again. Uh, yeah. uh, but that's the candidate the centrists are going to rally around. How long ago did he say that? Yeah. Um, good question. Yeah. I like that. That's already, mm-hmm. you know, distancing himself. Good. That's why he's a great strategist. You know, <laughs> I bet it was a long time ago. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't have that. I only have that he said it. He said it. I believe he said that. it was a. There was a collection. I'm doing this from memory from an article I read at about 4.30 a.m. But there was a collection of the wit and wisdom, I'm not making this up, of Michael Bloomberg that somebody gave to him. And I believe that was one of the quotes. So it could have been a 90s thing. It could have been an O's thing. Uh, but it's it, it clearly he wasn't worried about it until 
2020 when he's running for president. It's I uh, didn't. Did, I was just joking. Okay. Whatever he's going to come up with. Yeah. What did what did uh, uh, Trump say? Locker room humor. Remember that locker room talk. R- locker room. Can talk. I? Uh, can I, the one thing that I think is just interesting in the dynamics in the, in the race in general that you see is how the Democratic Party has really moved to the left from that Bill Clinton days of triangulation, uh, and I think th- the fact that we have people that were involved in politics back then, right? And, and bringing back what they were saying, let's say 20 years ago and now, and uh, I think that it's something worth noting. Well, I, I took a note of that because I'm gonna throw that at you. Oh. Uh, I'm gonna come right back at you. I'm There's a counterattack going against Bernie, which seems to be a movement back toward triangulation. And this is something I've been, uh, it's, it's really irritating the hell out of me uh, when I see the counterattacks uh, at Bernie Sanders is an attempt to move them back, to take the lefty wing of the Democratic Party, which I believe expresses the values. Of the, this is just my bias. I mean, all Democrats, when they run for office, they they talk about these values that we have, helping people, and 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 yet Clinton always wanted to win the vote to sell out our values or dilute our values. Okay, this is my opinion, and whether you guys agree with me or not, you can feel free to or not. But and I think that's what we're seeing whenever anybody says uh, Bernie's supporters are too idealistic. You know, uh, they they're trying to go back to the old days of trying. Because they're triangulation, because they're worried about some swing voter in DuPage County. Or... Did you read the article that appeared in USA Today about how Bernie Sanders deserves a second look from uh, all voters in the Democratic Party? This appeared like, was it two or three days ago? I did read that article, and yeah. I can't remember who wrote that article. I don't remember who wrote it, but I think one of the things that's very important in to retort to that argument, human beings are weird. We're funny. Two plus two can equal three, and it can equal 15. And that's one of the flaws that you have with triangulation. I bring up this article because the authenticity that Bernie Sanders has. People are not rational actors. People are tribal. People respond to authenticity. People just do things because they like people. And I think that we've seen this with Bernie. Um, When you're talking about many of the people that support Bernie Sanders, you have people that are all over. And when you just try to pull, test, and triangulate, people respond to that inauthenticity, and we've seen how that fails. In that USA Today article, they talk about how Democrats rehash the people that try to bring up, well, we need to be more formulaic, and, and there's, a, there's a role for that of poll testing and the like. But whereas we lost in 1972 the Democratic nomination, let's remember that in 2016, we lost because there wasn't enough enthusiasm. And so disregarding that is at our own peril. Mm. I There's so much you said there. The, the only part I disagree with is two plus two is always four. All right. No. So <laughs> just human beings, <clears throat> we're funky math, man. Uh, all right. Somebody might say two plus two is 15, but it doesn't make it anything other than four. All right. What's the third <laughs> quote before I uh, go, take this to Jacob? All right. I, I suspect, Ben, you might have seen the same article that I uh, am pulling from. But the third and final quote is, quote, I know for a fact that any self-respecting woman who walks past a construction site doesn't and doesn't get a whistle will turn around and walk past again and again until she does get one. And that was, yes, that was not Rush Limbaugh. Uh, That was Michael Bloomberg. 
And yes, uh, this article was, uh, I got a shout out to Joanna. My good friend Joanna uh, texted me this article. So I owe it to Joanna. That's the reason I saw the article. Um, When I read that quote, which is perhaps the most disgusting quote of them all, though it's it's a competitive race, I I wondered, like, why was Al Franken kicked out of the Democratic Party? I mean... The Democratic Party back when did Franken? Two thousand eighteen. Yeah. Yeah. Jacob, the Democrats back then were going through this process. We were reevaluating uh, the Democratic attitude toward women. What was an acceptable behavior by Democratic candidates? We were trying to contrast uh, the the Democratic Party with the Republican Party, which had uh, uh, Roy Moore uh, was the candidate in Alabama. Donald Trump has been accused of rape. Uh, so we're trying to contrast the uh, the Democratic Party uh, with Donald Trump. Now, follow me on this. And the notion is that's the way. I'm not making this up. This is what the, the centrists would tell me. That's the way we can get swing voters into Page County and suburban Milwaukee and suburban Pennsylvania and suburban Maryland to vote Democratic and not vote for Trump. Now you got Michael Bloomberg, who's got a catalog of these outrageous comments. What does that do to our effort to reposition ourselves as the anti-Trump party? I mean, it just throws it out, I think. I mean, he is in many ways like Trump. There's there's similarities there. And uh, I mean, it is worrying. I just I also don't really think he's a Democrat personally. I mean, didn't he speak up for uh, George W. at the 2000 Republican convention? Wasn't he a speaker? I mean, is there I don't know. It's just. It's very disturbing. The other thing with Bloomberg that's really, there was just an article in The Intercept about this yesterday, is the fact that he's paying his staff, uh, he's paying field staff so much money that all these other local campaigns can't afford anybody anymore. Everyone's going to work for Bloomberg, so there's shortages of campaign workers. So how's that? That's not really building the Democratic Party when you're like swallowing up all the staff and because uh, you're paying them so much. I don't know. I saw six it's, grand a month. Is that what you saw? Six grand a month. I think some are even being paid more than that. So six grand a month. Mm-hmm. See, like to Bloomberg, that's nothing. Yeah. Six grand a month is like the Ben Jarofsky show. Oh, <laughs> I thought when JB Pritzker ran for governor, he was he, he was paying yeah. the most of anybody. But this is like two or three times as much as JB was paying. So ultimately, so, you're saying it could hurt the, the Democrats yeah. because you're taking staffers away from important, down, what they call down-ballot yeah. races. I think it's already happening. I think he's already hurting some of these races. So, I, I, again, like you said earlier, if he's the nominee, I'll support him and vote for him because I'm going to vote for whoever the Democrat is. doesn't matter. But uh, I'm, I'm very nervous about where this is going right now. You know, one of the things that, that comes to mind for me and I think we've had a number of conversations about this, is that Democrats are horrible at messaging. I mean, we, I, I should say many times. Historically. Historically, in the past 50 years, we have been horrible. And part of this is that we are reactive. Here you had where, getting back to your question about Al Franken resigning, mm-hmm. You have where oftentimes the Democrats are reactive and they allow, in this case, Donald Trump to frame the debate. He's the person who's like, okay, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this. And then all too often you have where the Democrats are just kind of flubbing it up like, oh, well, we have to do this. We have to do this. We have to do this. And so this leads to answer your question about Al Franken, right? When you're asking why did Al Franken resign, I think in part it was 
a reaction, a quick reaction to what had uh, to Donald Trump being able to frame this is like, look at the Democrats. They're hypocrites once again, and they are simply not listening to their people. Uh, uh, you know, um, when Ed Bannon, uh, Steve Bannon was on uh, Bill Maher a few days ago. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, but I. Wait, which uh, for Maher or for Bannon? Yeah. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Um, he, he pointed out, he's like, what happened to the Democratic Party of, of, uh, of, of the populists, of, of the party which was of the working class? And when you, when you look at it, Donald Trump is an oligarch, no doubt about it. But his whole strategy, even in the eyes of his opponents, was never to paint him as one. It was just to paint him as irrational, corrupt. No, no, actually not corrupt. To paint him as irrational, to, to paint him as a person that was crude. Mm -hmm. But they never went for, I believe, the two issues that you really could have attacked him on, which is corruption and the fact that he is an oligarch. And when we look at the, these past few election cycles, whether it was Mitt Romney against Obama, look at those counties which flipped from Obama to Trump. Those are the ones where people voted against the person that they perceived was in tune with elites. And so that's something I think that we as Democrats really need to think about. Agreed. Jacob, you, what is it about the Democrats that leads people to say they're the party of the elites? Well, I just think we generally, Democrats aren't, that's not, that's not the Democratic way generally, but when you have somebody who is a billionaire trying to, uh, you know, put himself out there as a Democrat and spending all this money and all that, that's, it just leads to uh, people wondering if that's really the truth or not. I mean, I, I do think there's still Democratic ideals that are shared by most Democrats and most of the candidates, but I think this is an exception, and uh, I'm, I'm nervous about that, so. Well, one thing that, that uh, I have difficulty with is, and, and you already cited this, uh, Jacob, it, it's like there's just two or maybe it was you, Danny, I can't remember who said it. There's two benchmark elections that seem to govern uh, the notion what's the most winnable strategy for the Democrats to follow. One benchmark election took place before anybody in this room was born, 1972, when George McGovern, uh, who's very much a liberal, was defeated by Richard Nixon in one of the most uh, powerful electoral college um, landslides that we've ever had. All right. And so that lesson that Clinton took is we will never go too far left. We're always going to move to the center. That's the governing principle of the people who've been leading the Democratic Party ever since. The second lesson, which is a relatively new lesson, I think Maggie Wonderly may have learned this lesson in 2016, is when the Democratic Party uh, nominated uh, Hillary Clinton and she was so mainstream and she was so uh, tailored to the middle and so that they, they had... They lost all meaning, and so they couldn't rally their support. So now you have these two conflicting views of where the Democrats should go. Uh, should they do follow the uh, Bernie Sanders uh, rally the base strategy, or should they follow the Bill Clinton sell out the base strategy, move to the right? Uh, what's your sense of things, Jacob? Well, I think they should follow the Bernie strategy personally. I mean, I think that's, uh, you know, and I hear again and again from people that, uh, you know, who voted for Trump in a lot of those places Dan mentioned and, you know, these uh, Rust Belt counties and all that that say they'll vote for Bernie now if Bernie's the nominee, but I don't think they're going to vote Democratic for necessarily anybody else. So, 
I mean, that's just my sense of it. I, I could be wrong. Again, whoever the nominee is, I will support that person. The party will as well. Uh, and I think there's some other good candidates in the race, but I just, uh, I, I worry about the Bloomberg factor and how that's all going to pan out. So, Which theory do you subscribe to, Dan? Well, sir, like I said earlier, two plus two can equal three. It can equal 15, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's sticking to that I one. know, right? Uh, uh, op- obstinate political mind, right? <laughs> um, no, that's but- That's for uh, sure. Uh, no, I, I've, I've, I've said this for a long time where I think when you're talking about how people operate, people are, are very pulled in by authenticity. Uh, when you look at the loss in 2000 of George W. Bush and Al Gore, Al Gore came across as someone who was triangulating, someone who didn't have the same passion that he had a few years later when we saw an inconvenient truth, right? Mm-hmm. He was not that same character. And when you saw George W. Bush, people said, well, I voted for the guy because I could have a beer with him, mm-hmm. right? And that this is somebody who really was an authentic person. And especially today when people are really sick of all these um, polished figures, uh, let's look at the Republican primary, right? You had where, what was it, 16? Other candidates, right? People that were the epitome of of poll tested, of saying the right thing at the right time, had all their credentials from the different uh, think tanks, and then they just fell like paper tigers. And so, you need to make sure that there's a real groundswell and a people movement, and you ignore that at your peril. Mm-hmm. I think the Democrats are in danger of that if they uh, if they follow the advice of so many of the mainstream people. We're gonna uh, when we come back, I'll play that Chris Matthews things, get your reaction to it, but. Uh, uh, conventional wisdom among the Democratic leaders uh, or the mainstream Democrats is that Bernie's too extreme, too lefty, and they got to go uh, move toward the middle. It seems as though, Jacob Kaplan, that the Republicans are subscribing to that same conventional wisdom. Been reading stories about the uh, Eric Zorn, let's give him a shout out in the in the uh, Tribune, wrote a column today uh, about uh, Rush Limbaugh's advice to Republicans. Follow me on this in South Carolina to vote in the Democratic primary for Bernie, because Rush Limbaugh, the great uh, political mind, Rush Limbaugh, has come to the conclusion that Bernie would be easier for other uh, for Donald Trump to defeat than any mainstream uh, Democrat. What's your thought about that strategy? I just disagree. I mean, if they want to do that, bring it on. But I I, I disagree with that. And uh, I, I just think if Bernie's a nominee and he's up there on the debate stage with Trump, I think I think they're gonna. I think it's not gonna be pretty for uh, for the president, and I think that Bernie will hold his own. And sure, I you know, I, I guess their whole thing is, oh, you can tar him as a socialist and all that. But I mean, they're gonna tar whoever the Democratic nominee is a socialist, even if it's Bloomberg, he'll be a socialist. <laughs> Come on, doesn't matter. That's just that's been the attack on Democrats for forever. Yeah, it's nothing new. Yeah. So I I I don't know. I I I think. That's a, that's a mistaken uh, uh, idea on behalf of the Republicans, but I guess I'm glad they they have that I, that thought. So, uh, I I I would like to actually point out. Let's look at history. Uh, there's a well-known quote by Eisenhower who talks about how if you try to break unions or try to eliminate Social Security, you'd be banished to the peripheries of politics because it would be so radical. Mm-hmm. And you had a bunch of people who didn't think that was radical and wanted to make that mainstream. And today, that is. And that's because of the fact that they took one of the parties and they were able to get good messaging and have successfully, to our detriment, reframed that debate. 
that's no longer something that's on the fringes. And so that's a testament that if you have a good messenger, you can go back. It's not that people will inevitably be polarized around what we now conceive as right and left. That changes. It's a shifting kaleidoscope. Who know, Who remembers about the huge uh, uh, debates that we had about the gold standard and silver money that raged in the 1880s? It's totally irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows about that. But there's always the people that are for and against. And if we can effectively message, reframe the debate, and we have a good messenger, then there's no reason that people will not support, as we've seen in the Democratic primary of 2012, 2016, and 2018. You have a good messenger, that dynamic changes. Uh, what is the message that the Democrats should put out in this election? You mean for the general election? I mean, I think it's got to be standing up for for economic issues, for, for Social Security, for uh, for health care, for things like that. I mean, I think that's that's the most important thing, and that's what's been a winning issue for us for the longest time. But I also think that running against Donald Trump is, I think that Democrats are going to coalesce around whoever the nominee is, probably even Bloomberg, uh, probably. Uh, but I think that, you know, running against Trump is going to be the thing that unites Democrats more than anything else. It will be a lot more united than we were in 2016. Uh, because of the fact that we're running against this guy and he's so incredibly unpopular. So that's, in some ways, you don't have to message. You still need a message for sure. But uh, I think that will draw a lot of people out and to our side, regardless. That's Jacob Kaplan. Dan Pogoshelsky's in the studio as well. We're going to take a break, come back, talk a little local politics. We'll be right back. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. Chicagoland Cremation Options.com. One more time. Chicago LandCremationOptions.com. I've seen a whole lot of catfish, some turtles. Uh, no gators yet, though. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us to the weekend. Jacob Kaplan, Dan Pokoshelsky in the studio with me, uh, the political know-it-alls from the city of Chicago. I was going to play the uh, Chris Matthews tape, get your response to it, but I don't think we... No, we, yeah, we're against. It's just oh. the live stream that's down. Oh, the live stream's down. Oh, my goodness. I apologize for that. Oh, I, I sent a DM I, over to the Sun-Times people. I think that's, they're going to help. That's so funny. I, uh, a DM. I like that. A DM. Uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I was apologizing for the live stream being down, but the live stream's down. They can't hear the apology, so... Oh, technology. Uh, you know, <laughs> oh, fiddlesticks. All right. Uh, let's, let's hear Chris Matthews' uh, his, uh, thoughts. And then we'll get uh, Jacob and Dan away in. All right, everybody. This is Chris Matthews from a few days ago, right after uh, the New Hampshire primaries. And boy, he is freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> I 
have my own views of the word socialist, and I'll be glad to tell them, share them with you in private. And they go back to uh, the early 1950s. I have an attitude about them. I remember the Cold War. I have an attitude towards Castro. I believe if Castro and the, and the, and the Reds had won the Cold War, there would have been executions in Central Park, and I might have been one of the ones getting executed. And certain other people would be there cheering, okay? So I have a problem with people who took the other side. I don't know who Bernie, Bernie supports over these years. I don't know what he means by social. One week it's Denmark. We're going to be like Denmark. Okay, that's harmless. That's, a, that's basically a capitalist country with a lot of good social welfare programs. Denmark is harmless. It's pretty clearly in the Denmark is category. He? Yeah. Are you sure? How do you know? Did he tell you that? Well, I mean, that's what he says, and that's what his agenda is. Right? Yeah, yeah, He's on us. Let's see. Let's figure that one out. But we haven't seen a, a campaign yet where video of him praising the other version right. of Castro has been used, well, but that's it a, will be used. That's a question of how, seen how that plays. Of how tangible, what, what the effect that has. In well, what does he think of Castro? That's a great question. What did you think of Fidel Ismo? We all thought he was great when he first, I thought he was cheering like mad okay. for him I'm gonna, when he first wait, went in. And then that. he became a communist and started shooting okay. every one of his enemies. Okay, hold, so, hold, hold, those, thoughts on the Cuban, hold those thoughts He's on the Cuban revolution. I have to go back to the spin room and Democratic presidential candidate. All right, uh, one more time. That's Chris Matthews. Uh, MSNBC, that's the quote-unquote liberal station. Yeah. Jacob, <laughs> the liberal station, all right? that the wimp, Chris Hayes, I like him. He's from Chicago. Uh, at one point, he wrote for The Reader, but you got to stand up to a guy like Chris Matthews when he's uttering such oh, yeah, freaking garbage I mean, I hate like to that. use a Trumpist uh, phrase, but this is like Bernie derangement syndrome, isn't it? Yeah. In a lot of the media. Oh, the I mean, media it's, lost its mind, man. <laughs> it really is. I mean, it's insane. It's like they don't take him, they're trying to take him down, they don't take him seriously enough. He's not the front runner, even though he is the front runner. It's like, come on, guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, give me a break. And a multi candidate race is different from a one on one race. You can't really compare things in the same way. You know, it's just, I don't know. It's insane. I, I, I would suggest that, listen, I, okay, let me back up. Uh, I got into this business, it was. There was a, accepted standards of what, how you were supposed to cover stories, the rules you were supposed to play by in journalism. Those rules are gone. Fox TV is the, one of the biggest supporters of the Republican Party and Donald Trump. They're a huge microphone for Donald Trump. They make no bones about it. Uh, and so presumably uh, MSNBC would be, they, they play a weird game, Jacob. They're like, well, we are liberal, but we're gonna play by these old rules. So they let this guy, Chris <laughs> Matthews, go off on this insane rant. Like Bernie is somehow yeah. gonna be shooting people. He's a communist in Central Park. Yeah, I know. You know, CNN's given Bernie better treatment than uh, MSNBC, based on what I've seen lately. It's just crazy. Yeah, it's, it's really <laughs> hard for Democrats. That's another thing you talk about, what Democrats have to do to get a message out. They're at a huge disadvantage, not only with the Electoral College, obviously, uh, but in the media. Yeah. They are, I mean, we don't. <laughs> we, it's like every single Republican. It's Fox News and that's it. We're just split on these things. And then we have MSNBC that's supposedly the Democratic station, but really isn't. I'm not a member of any of any <laughs> yeah. organized party. I'm a Democrat, yeah, right? I know. It's, it's just we can't, stay, we can't get organized. Yeah. Want. Uh, can't get organized <laughs> as well. At, uh, Chris Matthews. I uh, wish somebody at uh, MSNBC just, you know, hey. Feel free to disagree with the guy, all right? I mean, he's he's not going to beat you up. It's absolute lunacy in so many levels, Jacob. The notion that, first of all, like, like Chris Matthews was on the front lines of the war against communism. I know, I right. He was out there. He was in the Peace yeah. Corps. <laughs> yeah. okay. 
Oh, Nothing God. against the Peace Corps, but come on, Chris. It's not like you're Rambo. Yeah. You know, out Ugh. there in the jungles of Vietnam. All right. Uh, local races. Jacob Kaplan. Let's talk about some of the local races. The big one, of course, st- uh, Cook County State's Attorney and the Cook County Democratic Party has supported and endorsed Kim Fox. Yeah. And so have a lot of presidential candidates, including Bernie Sanders yesterday. So, uh, you know, she's racking up the endorsements. Obviously, the Smollett issue just cannot stay out of the news. The news about the, uh, you know, Jesse Smollett being uh, now indicted by uh, Special Prosecutor Jim Webb. Dan uh, Webb. Jim Webb, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never heard about that story. Can you tell me more? Where you been? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I do think that the thing, the reason why I'm still very confident that Kim will pull this out is that she's done great you know, made great strides in the criminal justice system to make it more fair for black and brown communities in in the county. And uh, I just don't see where you have a four candidate race and you have Bob Fioretti and Donna Moore in the race as well, splitting the vote. And Kim's still going to have a solid, you know, support of the African-American community and also still a lot of progressives on the North Shore that are with her. You know, I still think she'll pull this out, but it's it's just every day is just this. It's like this is just the focus. Everything's Smollett, Smollett, Smollett. And it's like there's a lot of other things that went on in that office that are really good. It's really one one misstep, one mistake is going to should tank her career permanently. I just I don't get it. All right. So <laughs> I'm, I'm working from the, the assumption uh, that Kim Fox will be victorious. I've said this to you in the past, will be victorious in the primary. Uh, and then to get into the general election against a Republican win was I know I should know this, but I can't remember at the moment. And I'll bow to you two guys. When was the last time the Republicans won a county-wide race? I believe it was the 1980s. Uh, was it state? Well, was it a Jack state's O'Malley. attorney? Was it Jack, Jack O'Malley? O'Malley was state's attorney. Yeah. And what year was that? Uh, he was 1986. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I believe that was the last time. There you go. <laughs> Where did that come the from? Three of us are unstoppable, Ben. <laughs> They don't need Wikipedia. They just need the three of us. You guys do parties? (laughs) Occasionally. Once in a while. I would feel bad for the people that are are invited to our parties. Yeah. (laughs) My condolences. Oh, my God. Now, who did Jack O'Malley defeat in 1986? Oh. That's a good question. I can't remember. Wait. We can look. Ah, uh, doesn't matter. No, that's cheating. I mean, I, yeah, Ben, you should know. You were in, you were covering politics right. at the time. Come on. I was at Jack O'Malley's <laughs> headquarters. Uh, uh-huh. Jack O'Malley won for Cook County uh, State's Attorney. Attorney. This was after Daly, right? Yes, it was. Uh, yeah, obviously. No. Or, uh, uh, no, 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 no. This was. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because Daly. Daly. Daly no, no. But no, Daly was the state's attorney. So mm-hmm. Jack O'Malley was. It must have been after '86. It then. might have been '88 then. Yeah, might have been '88. No, no. it was. It was uh, All right, this is the Vindrovsky show. They, to, the only show <laughs> yeah. where the person asking yeah. the question doesn't know yeah. the answer. <laughs> what is that? No, '86 was ben the one where regular Socrates. Uh, Elrod <laughs> lost for sheriff. Okay, and he lost uh, to. I forget the dude's name, but I could see his face. Uh, and so that's the, the the countywide race that I recall. Um, a Republican a winning. A Republican winning. That's that's where I was the night of the election. I was and believe it, I was in Elrod headquarters covering the election. So Jack O'Malley won in 1990. Yes, when he was in the special I thought election. it was later. I'm like, oh, 86. Yeah. Oh. But still, that was a long time ago. Yeah. And I do not. I, I, I know people are, Cecil Partee was the candidate that he wrote. Yeah, he's so right. I just saw that. Yeah, he was. Wow. The, he was the interim state's attorney. Yes, he yeah. was. Going back yeah. to the you know to the original Daily Machine. 
Yes. Yeah. Uh, 20th Ward uh, Committeeman. Uh, Maggie Wonder is like, wow, that guy really knows his stuff. <laughs> uh, all right. So you're confident. So I, I, don't what say, I was I, leading this up to is kid, if Kim Fox is the nominee, do you think the Republicans can take advantage of Smollett Gate and be victorious? I, I'm sure they'll try. But I think with Donald Trump on the ballot and ha- the amount of changes that have happened since 1990 in, in Cook County and how much more Democratic it's become, I just don't see how they have a shot at uh winning that race. I mean, no doubt they'll campaign and Kim will campaign as well in November, but I think she'll win that solidly. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. And that camp, uh, you're right. That race will kind of lose significance, even with updates coming in all the time on Smollett. Uh, Where are they going to get the money from? What's the other thing? The Republicans have no money now. They, you Bruce know, Rauner's gone. Danny they Rauner's don't, they gone. Don't have, uh, he's in Italy. They don't have a source for funds. Wait, Rauner, did, he's permanently moved to Italy? Well, the house is for sale in Winneka, isn't yeah. it? But he still has the condos in downtown Chicago. So, yeah. you know. Who knows where he that's is. A, that's, a, that's a <laughs> pedicure. You yeah. know what I mean? That That's like, hey, I want to. But you're right. Daddy uh, Rauner was financing yeah. uh, the Republican Party. Although, you know, there's always been all these rumors about the Ricketts. Getting involved. House. Oh, to the, start funding Republicans yeah. around here to fund. Rumors they're going to fund whoever the Republican challenger is going to be against Pritzker next time around. Well, that's ridiculous. Oh, wait, you mean that's ridiculous that the that the that the um, Ricketts are going to do that? Yeah, because the father is so rational. All right, time when out. it comes to funding. Now we're on one of my favorite co- topics: the Ricketts and how they're destroying my <laughs> love for the Cubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Ricketts family. There are th- three hardcore Republicans. Yes, and then uh, there's Laura Ricketts, the daughter, who's a Democrat. Yeah. So um, when you say the Ricketts, it's kind of like they cover all their bases. You know what I'm saying? Oh, well, you know, yeah. But we we have our daughter who is the Democrat. So I got a feeling that whatever money they put in uh, to the Republican coffers in Illinois will be. There's only one daughter. I know, but the thing is, is that this is it, a democratic they'll state. They'll play both sides. They'll play saying. both sides. It's a democratic state. But let's, democratic let's remember, let, if, if Donald Trump loses in 2020, and I hope he does, 2022 may not be the best year for Democrats, even in Illinois. Yeah. I mean, if it's a midterm well, election. This so. gets into what and, I'm saying. This yeah. is uh, the Obama legacy. I've been thinking a lot about yeah. this. Uh, the Obama legacy. I was one of the people really happy, obviously, when Obama won in 28, 2008. I was so excited by it. And Jacob, Dan... The reality, every election that followed uh, Barack Obama's historic 2008, the Democrats Kept lost a little more. <laughs> I know, I you know. know, and so. But isn't that isn't doesn't that go back to some of the flaws that Obama had with party building? You know, this is something that's not Which just basically here in that Illinois. he didn't do it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, lack of party building. And, yeah. and this is this is I find this really ironic that you're saying that, Dan, because um, there was an article in the Sun Times the other day by a, a conservative who was hates Trump and Essie Cup is her name and she wants the Democrats to nominate someone other than Bernie because she buys into conventionalism that Bernie will lose and she said it's a cultist thing and I'm reading her and I was like if anything is a cultist thing it was Obama it was all about Obama mm-hmm. Obama 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 yep. people voted for Obama in 2012 to re-elect him while the, the rest of the party was falling apart uh Say what you will about Bernie Sanders, he's always talking about building a movement that it's yeah. bigger than me, Bernie Sanders. So he's yeah, sort of like, and he shows that in endorsing other candidates down ballot and being very involved with that. No, so. Notice how the Republicans yeah. have become the party of Trump, and you've seen a lot of the same dynamics in the Republicans, right? Yeah. So I would hope that that pattern, where we, if you get a Democratic president, and then you automatically lose the whatever seat of the house, you know, the Congress you have the next time, the House of Representatives, the Senate. I would hope that would reverse itself in uh, 2022. Uh, Good God, or you think of 2022. Yep. Uh, 
Uh, I would hope so, too. I mean, no doubt. But historically, midterm elections, regardless, have to, you know, the president's party doesn't do as well. So, yeah. All right. Uh, and then, of course, well, there we can always remember FDR, right? Let's, yeah, there's go, hope. We have to go way yeah. back. I talked about the precedents <laughs> in '72. Yeah. Even I wasn't around for FDR. Uh, all right, Louis Arroyo stepped down as a state representative, uh, the third legislative district uh, on Chicago. There's a contested Democratic primary, uh, and talk about that, uh, uh, Jacob, in terms of what the the Cook County Democratic Party is going to be doing. Well, so we, when Louis uh, stepped down because of his corruption charges that are impending. Uh, he uh, still stayed on as Democratic committeeman of the 36th Ward. So we were very clear, the chair was clear in our entire executive committee that if anybody was appointed using Louis Arroyo's votes, even by proxy, that you know just shouldn't be done. I mean, that it was just a, a terrible look and, and uh, we had no way to eject Louis from the party, unfortunately. But uh, regardless, the votes were used uh, by Ariel Reboyeris, 30th Ward committeeman, at, and Ivadina Delgado was appointed to the seat. Mm-hmm. Several committeemen boycotted that meeting. Uh, I think it was just a very bad look for everyone all around. And uh, so now Ivadina is running. She's the incumbent state rep, and she's running against uh, uh, um, she's running against Nidia Carranza. Carranza. Yes, mm-hmm. Nidia Carranza, who has the support of uh, a Chicago, teacher. Chicago Teachers Union. She is a teacher. She has the support of a lot of progressive labor groups. Um, but Eva Dina, who we thought at the time, you know, there's talks about having hearings to maybe even consider uh, removing her from the House because of the way the appointment happened. And we're not sure what's going to happen with that. Um, but regardless, now Eva Dina has gotten some support. Mayor Lightfoot has endorsed her. And uh, it seems like she's kind of moving beyond, beyond in some ways those uh, those allegations of taking a, you know, a corrupt appointment, for lack of a better term. So I don't know what's going to happen there. I think that uh, I think Nydia has has a shot if she gets out there, you know, how the whole process went down and communicates. But I saw some polling that showed Evadina ahead. So I'm not sure what's going to what's going to happen there. I, I actually wanted to point out, you know, Mayor Lightfoot campaigned on transparency, on, on getting rid of the old ways. And yet that grudge with the Chicago Teachers Union, I don't know, seems to have weighed where all of a sudden, ah, we're gonna go with the not teacher, mm-hmm. and uh, especially someone who is connected. And the strongest suit that you had for Mayor Lightfoot was, hey, I'm not gonna be with any of the insiders. And uh, apparently it's do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> yeah, that is a, a very curious one. And uh, uh, you know, and our good friend Dave Feller, who's been on your show, yeah. was in the race, and then he withdrew and and through his support to uh, to uh, Nydia. So I think that helps her because Dave has a base of support up in the northern end of the district there. So who knows what's going to happen yeah. in this race, in other words. That's it's all a, about getting your people to vote. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a local race, getting your people to vote. Last race before I let you guys go, and uh, I know this is near and dear to Dan, Rob Martwick running for, uh, well, I, I can't even say he's running for re-election because <laughs> he too was filled up. Oh, and can you confirm yeah. that Rob Martwick does play the guitar? Oh, yes. He, he, Absolutely. As, in the Correct. state legislature, he was the representative of Rock. <laughs> I thought now he was he's the senator of Rock. Drums or something. Right? No, no, the senator of Strum or oh, whatever? Yeah. He's Strumming he's senator? Yeah. Uh, Here, I, are you going to create like some kind of cool... like um, Strum Thurman? Uh, str- no. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Jeez. Jesus. <laughs> two pets. Seriously. Oh, man. That was good. Uh, um, so, wait. Speaking of Limbaugh. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, um, but 
getting back to to Rob Martwick, are you going to create some kind of cool little? Uh, you know how you have the wedding thing for me? Yeah. Like, are you going to create something with Rob? Where that was like a tease, when, by the when, way. When Senator Martwick comes in, so that you know it's going to start like a big strum. Oh, that'd be good. Like yeah, yeah. Who, yeah. Like, oh, here we have the strumming senator. We could do that. <laughs> yes, Actually, I like it. You, Martwick, you were doing your inner Pete Townsend. You, That's you like right. <laughs> Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, other than playing the guitar, he's running for election. Yes, he is Senate. running. He's running for re-election. And he, Not re-election. For, election. He's running for election to the Senate. Mm-hmm. He had previously been the incumbent state representative. His largest bill, the thing that I think he would say with regards to his own legacy, is trying to get the Chicago to have an elected representative school board, mm-hmm. um, which has been uh, a huge passion. He was the person who successfully actually got at I believe it was 110 to four out of 118 representatives in the House that was controlled by Michael Madigan, Republicans, Democrats, to all come together in supporting the very righteous cause of having an elected school board in Chicago, which is overdue. Mm -hmm. Hopefully Mayor Lightfoot uh, finally lets that happen as she campaigned on. Hasn't been as much follow through, but let's rewind. Um, Senator Martwick has always had the same opponent. In other words, it's a different person, but the same candidate a Republican running as a Democrat. I just don't understand. And a Chicago police officer. Yes. It's always a Chicago police officer. Republican running as a Democrat. Yeah, and, and <laughs> what you what you see happen is that time and time again, and so once again, here you have somebody who in 2016, because which ballot you pull is public information. Mm-hmm. His opponent pulled a Republican ballot. He's never voted in a Democratic uh, primary ever, and he's only voted sporadically. And he's running in the Democratic primary as a Democrat against Senator Martwick, which I just think is fascinating that on the northwest side of Chicago that you've had, John Garrido is running as a Democratic judge. The same John Garrido who famously said, the only time I've ever voted in Democratic primaries was to elect the weakest Democrat. No, he's the Rush Limbaugh strategy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, So so you've seen this actually in in a number of races. It's like they can't win general elections on the northwest side. The Republicans, even up in the more conservative northwest side, cannot win. So they they run as Democrats. Just it's very disingenuous. It's ridiculous. Some might point out. (laughs) What kind of convictions do you have? uh, Some might point out that uh, the same thing is happening with Michael Bloomberg. All right. I'm going to avoid that (laughs) one. Uh, And finally, we'll close with Marie Newman. Uh, The party has taken no stance in the third congressional district. Is that correct? Right. Well, the party doesn't actually endorse in local races like that. But a lot of the local committee men there are still with Dan Lipinski. You know, of course, it's the 13th Ward. And and uh, some of the other wards and townships down that way. But regardless, a lot of party activists and, and a lot of people that are active in our party are supporting Marie Newman. Of course, the mayor life would come out for Marie Newman as well. And I think I think she has a good shot this time, um, though I think with a multi-candidate race, it's a different dynamic. That's another one where there was a public poll released by Lipinski showing him up by like 20 points. I'm not sure that I buy that. 20 points? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I just, I'm curious how this yeah. Rush Darwish factor is gonna yeah. is gonna play. Yeah, uh, you know, especially so you have where, if I remember correctly, last time when he ran um, against Sean Morrison for the county board, you had where uh, Abdel Nasser Rashid actually brought out uh, the large Palestinian and Arab population that's in the southwest suburbs mm-hmm. and parts of the southwest side of Chicago, and so 
some of these areas, they actually go over the third congressional district. Mm -hmm. And so if you have a lot of first time voters that hadn't come out previously, how's that gonna play into the race? That's that's actually one of the things that I'm curious of that I haven't heard many folks talk about. I haven't about. heard much on that. And I'll just cl close with this. I'll bet you anything it's not a 20% margin, one way or another, no way. Yeah. Uh, I do not believe that poll. Uh, Jacob Kaplan, Dan Pogoshelsky, thank you very much for stopping in. The political know-it-alls once a month they come on the show, we talk politics. What's that? Uh, oh. Oh, okay, Dan. I'll oh, do it. Right. Here we go. Dan always, yeah, he always bugs me and wants it. me to do this commercial for him. Guys, I don't know if you knew this or not, but our good friend Daniel Pogoshelsky is an ordained minister. And, well, he always twists my arm makes me do this <laughs> live read. If you are looking to tie the knot with your loved one, well, there's one man you can call. His name's Dan Pogoshelsky, licensed ordained minister. So... If you are looking to marry the one that you love, the only question that you need to ask is, Danny P., will you marry me? Dan Pogoshelsky, licensed ordained minister. Oh, that's beautiful, man. Just a beautiful thing. Young Daniel, he's always marrying people. Uh, wait, that didn't come out right. Uh, anyway, I uh, also want to thank Maggie Wonderly. Uh, I was in the show earlier. Uh, Bernie Sanders, delegate candidate. How about that? Uh, an election expert. Uh, Romano Hussein early in the show. Pat Whalen. Pat, you got a show this weekend? Or? Not this weekend. But no. check us out at Best Evening Ever, Facebook.com slash Best Evening Ever, Twitter at Best Evening Ever for all the details. We'll be coming back to Can TV probably in April. All right, very good. Uh, Pat Whalen, thank you very much. And of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. And as Dan, Jacob, and Maggie all can tell you, Back home in Alton, they Dennis, call, right? No, they call him White Lightning. Oh, Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. Have a good <laughs> weekend, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews like this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Downloaders, you know we live stream the show, right? It's true. Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. We appreciate you downloading. We really do. But we encourage that you check out the Ben Jarofsky Show live stream. And if you feel real crazy, check out the YouTube live stream chat. Holy cow, it's something else. Hang out with like-minded political people and trolls. It's fun. We'll see you Tuesday. And happy Valentine's Day. Big problems become big problems when you let small problems sit. That's correct.